genre. Back to the Cornetto Minute, the daily podcast where we crawl our way to the bitter end or the lager end of the world's end one minute at a time. I'm Nick Jimenez. I'm Scott Corelli. And today we're preparing to annihilate Minute 68, which begins with Andy posing his, with his weaponized stools before attacking and ends with Gary dodging and blocking blanks at the bar. And Jay Stringer is back with us again. Welcome. Hello. 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 Um. Yeah, so uh, the fight scene uh, begins, and for my money, this is the best fight scene in the movie. Yeah, uh, it's one I of my favorite fight scenes in movies. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, for sure. Um, I think it's I think it's an absolutely brilliantly choreographed uh, action sequence, and I I love the bathroom fight. Uh, I think it, the bathroom fight is great, but it just it doesn't have the uh, I, there's just so much going on in this one. Uh, that that I think you know, I, I you know largely the the main thing that I just love absolutely love about this fight is, and we'll get more of this tomorrow, but in tomorrow's minute. But I love Gary's sort of um, want versus need in this, <laughs> and I and I think I think the the I think want versus need is what what creates the best fight scenes because. The need is always in a fight scene is always surviving the fight, winning the fight, right? But the but the want, adding a want to that, I think just adds another layer to the fight that gives us something to root for more than just like I mean, I've seen a million fights, right? But the ones that I'm always the most interested in are the ones that have stakes beyond the fight itself. And mm-hmm. and I don't mean like you know, you know, the, the fate of the world or anything like that. It's literally just, you know, in the case of Gary, he just wants to finish his goddamn pint. Like that's, that's what he wants more than anything right now. And the only reason he's fighting is because they won't let him. (laughs) And, and I love it. It's, it, it, it adds so so much to the, to the fight um, and, and to the choreography because it gives the choreography a sort of goal where it's like all of the fighting that's happening He's just wanting to get them away from him so he can drink his pint. Um, and and I, I just – I love it. I think it adds so much character to the fight, and I really do think it makes for the best fights in, in any movie. Right. Yeah. I mean yeah. – and it's like it's difficult for a, a, an audience member to relate to like, oh, no, we have 10 seconds before the 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 – portal closes or shit you know but like yeah oh this he wants to drink a beer and he can't like that's that's more it's more grounded and it's like oh i I can i can relate to that or like that's that's funny or just a little off center i think it's the grounded element that makes it it's like what i i think if you know the bigger your moment is the bigger the the idea of the moment is um in any kind of scene or chapter it's fun to just find something very 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 mundane in the middle of it to ground it, you know? Yeah. And so it, it is just that, that pint that just let <laughs> me drink, you know, <laughs> I've got a job to do <laughs> yeah. because that, that's when it just, it becomes relatable in a way in your, on your subconscious to like every day you've ever had when 
you know, you've got a job and people throwing a million things at you and you're like, yeah, but I just want to, I just, I've just got to do this thing. Can you just yeah. give me five minutes? Yeah. Yeah. Or you're just like, you know, I, I can't even tell you how many times I've been at work and, uh, and like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to have my lunch. I've been looking forward to this. It's always, it's always too, it's always a lunch that I'm looking forward to, whether it's like really good leftovers or I was planning to go to a certain restaurant or whatever, uh, get takeout. And, uh, it, it always seems to happen that, uh, you know, I, I can't wait for lunch. And of course that's the moment where I just, I can't get a break. Like I just, <laughs> just one thing after another. All right. I'm about to go to lunch. Oh, before you go to lunch, can you do this? Uh, yeah, I guess I have to, huh? And you do that and then you get dragged to something else and then something else. And then before you know it, the day's over and you never got lunch. Yeah. 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 This scene also always, and, and this particularly kind of this minute of it, um, towards the end of this minute, it always makes me think of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I'm not saying it's a, I don't think it's an inter- um, deliberate reference because they, they would have played a few things up more if it was deliberate. You just, you know, if you've got a fight in a bar, it, it can't help but remind me of it. It's just sure. the bit when Indy's uh, pinned to the bar and asking for whiskey. But obviously in, in that film, he's wanting the whiskey for something else. But Marion thinks for a few seconds, he's just asking for a drink of whiskey. You know? <laughs> um, this this scene always makes me think of that. It's like you could be you could maybe watch that scene and go, okay, but what would happen if he he's in the middle of the fight and he did just want a glass of whiskey? Yeah, yeah, because I think I think that's uh yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know that it's certainly not a deliberate reference, but I I, I definitely think that I mean that that scene is so iconic and Raiders is such an iconic film that I I there's no way that that isn't um you know, sort of built into the DNA of this scene, even subconsciously, you yeah. know, uh, because yeah, I, there's no way that little, little Edgar Wright didn't watch Raiders and was like, wow, that's a great fight scene. Um, and then, and then eventually, you know, brought that here, um, to, to a certain extent, everything he learned from, from the fight scenes in Raiders, because Raiders is like a really good example of exactly what I'm talking about. It's like in every fight scene in Raiders, it's, just indie just getting <laughs> just getting put upon and just like i just i i want to do that get out of my way i don't god there's so many nazis i just want to go over here yeah. uh, and yeah. it's 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 that's those are the best fights is when the when the hero is just a totally put upon and it's like the fight is more of a nuisance than it is an actual fight right, you know yeah. it's not yeah it's not it's not rocky balboa uh you know it's not you know, Rocky fighting uh, whoever he's fighting in that final fight, where it literally is just about the fight and and the heart of the fighter. This, you know, it, the best fights are always the ones that are just like this guy who just like <laughs> this person who just like wants to go do this thing, and the fight is a is a nuisance. And I I just love that. right. Like there's uh, there's a great part in Raiders where in in Cairo where you know he he need he wants to find Marion, but he but he needs to f- keep fighting off these people that keep getting in his way and you're like no i want the fight but i don't want the fight because marion's getting away you know right right yeah yeah and and even the famous one with the plane like that's almost like that whole action sequence is is basically that is kind of thesis antithesis synthesis in in a in a action scene because you Mm -hmm. know it starts out what's he trying to do he's trying to get marion off the plane okay but then this guy turns up who just won't leave him alone so now he's got to fight this guy while also still trying to get marion off the plane and then, you know, what happens at the end of the scene? Well, he kind of, well, he doesn't use the plane, but, you know, the plane kills the guy. So it's like right. everything comes together in this, in this one beat. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anyway, Raiders is a great movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. This has been Raiders minute. <laughs> no, that, that, that existed. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm not I'm not stepping on those guys' toes. Um, and this is the minute but, where I really God, the blanks are just so fun to see yes. get like knocked around. Cause like they yeah. like like Andy like punches it and he just goes flying. Yeah, I think that there's there's something extremely satisfying about fighting something that falls apart where when you're fighting them, you know? Yeah. It's like I think it, it's the same level of um of of satisfaction that I think Edgar Wright found in that final um f- like sword fight fight in uh in in Scott Pilgrim versus the world where everyone is turning into coins as he's fighting them. Yeah. And I think I think there's a there's a satisfaction in that that he is using here of like, yeah, what if you just smack something in the face and its face like just blew up? Like it's yeah. it's really it's really satisfying. It also it may, it just makes me think, and I'm sure that this was part of the conversation when it comes to you know making the film and film classification and all that. Um, but it just reminds me of particularly when I was a kid, and you know you'd have all these kind of kiddie friendly TV shows when you could have as much violence as you want as long as there was no blood. Well, okay, we're covered with that because it's it's not blood; it's it's this blue ink stuff. Mm-hmm. So you can go crazy, have as much of it as you want. Right. Um, and also, um, you can't have weapons like, okay, well, you know, like Wolverine's got claws. Can we not see them? Um, you know, and so the scene starts with him picking up two bar stools, you know, <laughs> and you kind of got that thing of like, were they in a meeting at some point when they might have said to someone, look, you can't accuse us of having him pick up violent weapons because they're bar stools. Bar stools can't be violent. They're smelly. <laughs> Right, right, and they're cushioned. Yeah, they're cushioned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's really fun, and I think too, the fact that it's the blue ink allows them to do horrifically gory things that never feel like horrifically gory things because it's not human blood. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just I I I, I love that. Uh, it, I think it adds to the satisfaction because I think if this were if it was red blood and and you know they were like actually like wrecking human beings, it wouldn't nearly be as satisfying because it would be too horrifying to be uh, satisfying. And uh, having them be these like fake action figure things, uh, I think really just man, it just it really adds to it. I I, I love it. Uh, yeah, I agree. I also, I'm, I wonder if the blanks are another one of the reasons why it wasn't you know such a well received film. And it, why it takes a while to find an audience is because the the blanks and that's that specific version of kind of the alien takeover. That's not what you expect to see when someone says we're going to go and watch a movie about aliens taking over. You know, yeah. because we've just been conditioned for years. It's it's going to be uh, Independence Day or any of these you know things that we we think of and we don't think of. Yeah, no, it's these kind of action figure things that bleed blue blood and their heads pop <laughs> off. Right. You know, it's genuinely inventive and fresh and fun. But sometimes inventive, fresh and fun isn't going to kind of immediately find an audience. Right, right. Right. Uh, it's all about that expectation. Yeah, uh, and I think I, I this movie flipped a lot of those expectations. And I think as a result, it was like it was like it flipped one too many expectations or something, because I think at a certain point, people were like, OK, I none of this is familiar to me. And I and I don't <laughs> I don't know what to hook into. And I think that people struggled. With yeah, that. there's this yeah. there's a great Roger Ebert quote where he says that uh, audiences are much more li- I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing much more likely to see a mediocre film than a good film. Mm-hmm. Like something that they're like, okay, I think I know what that's going to be. And that's something that I enjoy as opposed to like, 
you know, uh, the best. this could be anything. Could be, yeah, like, well, I don't know. That's uh, like if I don't know what to expect, then there's the the chance that I might not. It might be something familiar, and I might not like it. I'd rather see like the eighth version of like, where's my daughter? Because like, at least I know what that is. Right. <laughs> I think it's all it's because of emotion. I mean, I think like all of the we're all guilty of it. Like in geek culture, we spent years talking about plot and structure, and you know all of these things, and and every how to book we'll talk about plot and structure and and all you know it's just over and over again that's what we talk about but i think what really what storytelling is about is expressing emotion and mm-hmm. if you can sneak ideas in perfect but but really it's what do you want your audience to feel what do you want mm-hmm. them to feel during the film and then what do you want them to feel as they're walking out um and i think if you confuse your audience even if you've done it deliberately you know right. then ultimately you've confused your audience and they're going to walk out confused Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's great merit in that, you know, it, it creates something that lasts for a long time, but you, you kind of have to accept that in the first thing that's going to happen is they walk out confused. Right. I mean, I think that's what happened with films like Hereditary and Midsummer, two films that I absolutely love, but I think upon seeing it for most people walking in, expecting just a horror movie and then getting this other thing, they walk out of that movie, just th- those movies, just thinking like, what did I just watch? Why did it make me feel this way? This isn't what I signed up for. And uh, that must mean the movie's bad. Yeah. I think <laughs> yeah. the first season of, of Haunting of Hill House got it a little bit as well. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it spent, I, I can't remember how many episodes were, but, you know, it spent like 90% of the, the running time trying to unsettle you or scare you or freak you out. But then at the end, it's kind of, it's like, okay, but here's this emotional thing that we're putting back together, you know? Yeah. And even though it meant that you, you kind of, you didn't, you know, walking out of the theater, but you know, like getting to the end of the episode, um, it meant that you had a good feeling, but then you were still confused. Cause you're like, but I was sold a horror. I was right. sold something that was going to scare me. And, but now I feel good. What's this? Yeah. I think that's, I think that's part of the, the dilemma with horror as a, as a genre, just in general, is that, um, the third act of, of, of horror films or horror stories become very complicated because you, you, you can only do, uh, there's really like only three things, right? Either it turns into an action movie in the third act, um, or it turns into, uh, like you said, sort of an emotional catharsis thing, um, which only satisfies a certain type of person, or um, it it is like a twist ending, like a like a Twilight Zone, uh, M Night Shyamalan kind of ending. The boy, um, of yeah, of like this this twisted tragic ending. And and those are the those are the three choices. It's like every horror movie has one of those endings. And depending on who you are, uh, it, it kind of like shows a lot about your personality, about which type of those you uh, tend to prefer, I think. Um, and and but yeah, largely, I think the worst horror movies are the ones that just turn into action movies in the third act where it's like, and now we're going to we're going to fight Jason. It's like, well, I mean, the rest of this movie wasn't like this. Yeah, and, now, and now on, suddenly kick Dracula's ass. You were right. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's not fun. Uh, I don't know. That's a, that's a different turns into a different thing. Uh, and, and, uh, but I, I think that's one of the reasons why I think horror is probably one of the most complicated, uh, genres as far as, um, pleasing audiences. Uh, it becomes very difficult because, and, and it's also, it gets bogged down in continuity sometimes. I mean, you look at the paranormal activity movies and it's like that first one has, you know, there's like a visceral reaction that the audience has to that stuff. But then, once they start learning the tricks, it's like every movie. I I would argue that the quality of of the movies up to a certain point. I think I think the the last 
one especially was not good at all but um you know largely the quality maintained pretty strongly across the board i mean give and take here and there but pretty strongly but the the thing that changed was you as a viewer is that you knew the tricks and so it's not scary anymore and so it's not satisfying anymore and it, they started to focus more on the story, and that's not what people were coming to Paranormal Activity for. They were coming to it for the visceral thrill of basically experiencing a haunted house in a movie theater. And in, uh, in my opinion, the best part of every Paranormal Activity Paranormal Activity movie is when you're in like a packed audience, and mm-hmm. the t- the title card says Night One. Right, and and then you just feel everyone tense up <laughs> instantly. <laughs> yeah, it's like when the it's like when the doors close on a roller coaster. You know, You're, right? Okay, yeah. here we go. It's going to start soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so I don't know. It's uh, it'll be it's, interesting it's, to see what Last Night in Soho does, but with, with yes. it being Wright's first pure horror film. Supposedly, because I remember he said that Baby Driver was his first pure action movie, and then I saw it, and I was like, well, that's not. That's not necessarily true, is it? No. <laughs> um, so, so I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what what last night in Soho is because I don't. I don't know that I buy that it's his first thriller. I I would be excited by that, and I I would very be interested in seeing what that would look like. But I don't know that he can help himself, but be uh, at least at least have a have a sliver of comedy in there um, because I just think that's who he is as a as a creator. Um, but uh, I'll be interested to see how how it treats the the, the formulas of that genre for sure. Um, but uh, I I I did want to bring up something, uh, Jay, because I remember talking to you about this years ago. I think on Facebook, and uh, I I had I think I posted something about the World's End, and uh, you made a comment discussing um, uh, the series of novels that it reminded you of. Um, do you remember that conversation? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I, I just wanted to talk a bit about those about those novels, and and uh, uh, I guess because we haven't brought them up yet, because I was kind of waiting for you to be our guest before talking about them. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a series of books. Um, I'm actually going to um, type into the Google box as we talk, just to see if if he's still doing them, um, because they they were originally they were a trilogy, and then he just kept going. Um, but yeah, there was a series of books by um, a, a comedic author called Robert Rankin, uh, who the, the, basically the premise, uh, and actually he got upset at one point. He thought that uh, The World's End had ripped him off. Um, and I mean, obviously, just let, let's be clear, it turned out that they didn't. You know, of course they didn't. It was just one of those things when it was very, very similar. Sure. Um, basically, it was, a, it, it was a series of books about two two drunks, two unemployed drunks called Pooley and O'Malley, uh, who lived in a, a London borough of Brentford. Um, and they, you know, they, they're kind of constantly on the con. They're constantly looking for, you know, the quick way to make money uh, or the quick way to get out, a way out of having to work. Um, and th- those are just the kind of characters that they are. And yet in that, um, they just, in each book, they kept coming up against, you know, the, in, in one book, they fought the Antichrist, um, in another book, they fought uh, like an alien invasion. Um, you know, they've, they fought uh, clones and they've done time travel. And it, all of these adventures just keep happening and all based around them in their local pub uh, in in this tiny little sleepy town of Brentford. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't gone back and reread them, 
because I'm scared because I read them when I was a teenager and they were brilliantly funny. They were full of like running jokes and visual gags in novels, you know, like he'd, he'd play around with spaces on the page and things like that. Mm. Um, and they were just so, so, so funny. So I'm scared to go back and read them because what if they're not funny? Um, (laughs) but I do think if like, if you're, you know, for people listening, obviously at this point, if you've listened this long, you like this film, uh, it might be worth checking out. So the, the, the first one was called the anti-pope. Um, I remember that one not actually being the best. Um, I, you can read these in any order. The second one was pretty funny and it was called the Brentford triangle. And that one was kind of an alien invasion in, you know, in this small borough kind of book. Um, I'm just looking, in fact, Wikipedia now tells me that the, uh, the Brentford trilogy is a series of 10 novels yeah. by Robert I, Rankin. I saw, I saw the last book was called, uh, the Lord of the ring roads in 2017 and is referred to as the 10th and final book of the Brentford trilogy, which is yes. yeah. really, really funny. Um, I think, and, um, I think, I mean, I think he self publishes now as well. So, you know, you can get them on Amazon. Um, but I, I think it's worth, it's worth picking up a couple, particularly books two and three, uh, the Brentford triangle and East of Ealing, which, you know, one of them is, uh, an alien invasion. Um, like aliens who come from a planet in the solar system that blew up and, you know, then they're going to kind of, they're sneakily already taking over the town, which, you know, sounds a bit familiar. Um, mm-hmm. yep. you know, it's a familiar concept. Uh, and this, the next one is kind of, uh, I think it's, if I re- remember right, it's like Satanists are using high tech uh, to, to try and take over the town. Um, and also, like, he, he put Sherlock Holmes in it, um, you know, just to <laughs> mess around. So, uh, yeah, pick, pick up the Brentford Triangle and East of Ealing uh, and give them a go. If they are funny, then credit me for putting you onto them. And if you think they're not funny, just blame, like, 17-year-old Jay, not me. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I I I definitely uh I, I remember you uh, telling me about them um in that in that Facebook post and then uh I never got around to checking them out and I just I just ordered a few um just to check that out. Um cuz I do I do want to <laughs> I want to see what these are about. Uh I'm curious. And yeah, I will blame a 17-year-old Jay. <laughs> I mean I like to- tonally they you know they are very much the world's end like it's when you read a couple, you'd be able to see why the author might have watched the world's end and gone, hang on a minute, you know, cause mm-hmm. it's like tonally, it feels exactly like it. Gary King is kind of an amalgam of both of uh, Robert Rankin's main characters in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, they're both a little bit of Gary. Uh, so you can definitely see why he would have thought it, but I mean, I mean, obviously they didn't, it was just the same idea. Um, yeah. but yeah, give them a go. Give them a go. Yeah. Um, I, uh, the last thing I wanted to mention about, about this minute in particular, um, just something that rubs me the wrong way, uh, is, uh, is Sam lifting Peter up and saying, Oh, crumbs, you're heavy. And I just like, right. Really? Like, do we, <laughs> I like that, that apologize. we needed in this? <laughs> I like that he apologizes though. That, that feels like he's just like, sorry, like in he's the sorry. middle of the fight, in the middle <laughs> yeah. of everything that's going on. He's like, sorry, sorry. I put on a few pounds. <laughs> since high school <laughs> oh man. oh one other, uh, one other thing that um every time i watch this scene every single time including like now i think the three times i've watched it to kind of prepare for this um i every time i'm like is that phoebe waller bridge and then every time i remember that it isn't yeah but like, i yeah. go through the same thought process every time 
Yeah, it looks like her, uh, for sure. For a split second, I could see that. Yeah, Ace is pairing Edgar Wright and Phoebe Waller Bridge. Uh yeah, that would be that would be great. I'd be uh I'd be into a, a film uh with them. Um I think that would be that would be really good. Uh the uh, last thing I wanted to mention in this episode was the uh, the song that they're kicking ass to is by oh, yeah. uh, Silver Bullet, and it is 20 seconds to comply. Uh, released mm. in 1989, a number, another summer. Uh, hip hop, specifically the Britcore styling of hip hop, Silver Bullet being a uh, a, a very uh, influential voice in the Britcore hip hop scene. Interesting, Britcore, huh? All right, yeah. No, this is uh, this is good. Would 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 uh, uh, yeah? I guess what else would be in uh, Britcore? Would um streets the streets? Okay, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah um is uh what was the what was the oh man what was that band it started with a p um not pulp? primus not pulp no no not pulp it's it's a it's it's a band that sounds kind of like oh, this okay, um okay. uh I anyway I, I i i lost it i know that it starts with i know that it starts with a p but i can't um you're thinking of the prodigy Pro- prodigy yeah that's prodigy. it prodigy. prodigy prodigy yeah i hate that word yeah <laughs> yeah prodigy is that is that is probably part of this as well um, uh they were more of a, like the rave kind of rave okay uh, they, they were kind of 10 years uh, maybe 15 20 years um oh hang on no 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 yeah no sorry i'm thinking 15 20 years before the film but yeah no so they would have been around at the same time as the the song was released um, yeah but they were they were as, as far as i know and people listening might want to chip in and tell me i'm wrong but it was it was a different scene it was more of the rave scene okay all right fair enough uh, this is a great song though. It's a great, uh, it's a great, uh, fight song, um, for this scene. I think it, uh, it fits the energy. I mean, Edgar is just like really good at that. <laughs> um, he's just really good at choosing exactly the right song for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, uh, this is, this is, uh, definitely, um, similar to that. Uh, I, is this, is this the last, um, needle drop until sisters of mercy? Maybe. Yeah. It might be. I think the rest of it is score um, yeah. in the movie. Uh, huh. Okay. Interesting. For for a movie, it, 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 I find it really interesting the way that, that Edgar Wright, in most of his films, um, there will be lots of needle drops. I mean, I mean, Baby Driver, it doesn't really count. But <laughs> lots of needle drops early in the film, like the first like two thirds. And then that last third of the movie, it's all score generally. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. That's a good but, point. Yeah. yeah, like yeah. Frozen. Yeah. <laughs> like frozen <laughs> exactly like frozen and we're done being um <laughs> um all right well uh thanks for listening everybody check out the other podcast at uh at uh com. uh check out um you know we haven't brought it up in a few weeks but check out the uh live reading that uh nick and i uh, did a live reading of our original romantic comedy script the other side of solitary you can uh search it on youtube and uh check that out as well um, and it's, uh, it's fun. It's full cast and, uh, it's, it's, I think it turned out great. Original songs. Good, good stuff. Uh, the other side of solitary that is up on YouTube at the, uh, d- uh dueling genre, uh, channel on YouTube. Um, so check that out. And, uh, Jay, do you have any, do you have any podcast right now that you want to plug? Um, technically I'm not going to plug it. It's, it's at the stage <laughs> when it's been in hiatus so long that secretly we should just admit that it's never coming back. Oh, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I've, I've had those before. It happens. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. And we will be back uh, tomorrow with Minute 69. Nice. But for now, let's move over.